ask you a personal question. And it's a question that maybe you've never asked yourself exactly like this. You have thought about this subject maybe, or you've wondered around it a little bit, but I just would like to ask you a very personal and direct question. How much faith do you have? How much faith do you really have? I have to ask myself, how much faith do I have? Or maybe it's better to ask this way. Would you like to have more? Would you like to be in that place no matter what you're walking through in your marriage? No matter what you're walking through in life or in your dating relationships, no matter what's happening at the office, no matter what's in your bank account or not in your bank account, would you like to have more faith? Would you like to be in that place where you can trust God, faith, the essence of trust, trust God no matter what? The, the kind of faith that you look at the circumstances of today and while they may be uncomfortable, they don't rattle you. While they may be unsettling, they don't shake you. The, the kind of faith that has a trust in God at a level where there's a certainty in your life. There's a stability in your life. There's a knowing that God is with me and God is going to come through no matter what. Would you like to have more faith? And in our culture, we're so busy chasing so many things. Have you ever... Have you ever chased faith? Have you ever been in hot pursuit of faith in your life? We chase things because there are certain qualities that we need to have, we think, or certain things we need to attain to make our lives better, to make the quality of our lives better. We want to enjoy life, and so we, we have those things. You have your list, and I have my list, and maybe if you've been nice and not naughty, you'll get some of it, but we have those things that we think. If I, if I just had these, life would be better. But have you discovered that you've gotten some things you thought you needed to have to have a better life and realized that it didn't give you a better life? Have you ever had buyer's remorse? How long does it take you to have buyer's remorse? Remember that thing you thought you had to have and about two weeks later you don't even know where it is? Parents, remember the stuff that your kids really wanted last Christmas and you got it and they don't even touch it now? Like, what if what's missing is faith? What, it's, what if what's missing is not what we think we have to have? And, and, and maybe as you hear this, you're thinking, no way, that's not it for me. This is what it is. But just for a moment, just for a few minutes... I want to ask you to have the courage to go on this brief little journey for a few moments and actually consider something that maybe you've never considered. Uh, and if you're not buying it all the way, just fake it till you make it. Go, go with me on this journey because I think faith has the opportunity to be more powerful and even deeper and, and more real in your life and mine. And, and I think when it is, things change. We try to do so many things to elevate our life. We try to read books that will help us be better at relationships, or we try to listen to podcasts that will teach us to be better with our finances, or we, we talk to friends who seem to have great kids. Have you ever known people that had perfect kids? And we talk to them and say, how did you do it? And they either tell us the truth, we have no idea, 
Or they lie to us and they act like they're experts. Because what you see is what they show you on the outside. You don't see the Saturday night conversation back in the back room where voices are elevated. You, you don't see those moments. And in trying to learn so much and in trying to be so much better, in all of our pursuits, it can become emotionally exhausting. Because we never get what we're chasing. What if what's missing is faith? Now, you might be thinking, well, <laughs> Pastor, that's why I'm here. I'm at church because I want more faith. Can I just tell you this morning, faith is not contagious. Faith is not something that just because you're in a room with some people that have faith, you're going to catch it. Faith can be inspiring, but faith is not contagious. Your grandma's faith won't do anything for yours. The fact that somebody prayed for you and had faith doesn't do anything for you. Faith is not contagious. It is deeply personal. You can notice people that have it and think, I want that, but you don't catch it just from being around them. So we know we need something more than who we are and what we are, and so we try to develop these patterns in our lives, or we try to bring some ingredients into our lives to create the kind of life that we want. But as I look at what we're doing, I have another question that I have to ask you. Why are we so willing to be mentored by failures? Why is it that people, just because we know them, because of their line of work or the movie they've been in or the song that they've sang, why do we listen to people that have no idea how to have healthy relationships and have blown up every relationship they have? Why do we listen to those lyrics about how to have a relationship? We are spending our lives being mentored by failures. Why are we willing to... Read books from experts that they're only experts because somebody told you they were. You have no idea what they did. When we have this book, the only book that's living, the book that is absolutely the Word of God, inspired by God, see, as a Christ follower, I believe this is actually God's Word. You may not believe that, and that's just fine. I, I do believe it. And, and I believe it's God's word. I believe it's been protected and preserved. I believe it's the living word of God. And I believe that God is the only expert or authority on any area of life. So I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my life being mentored by failures. I want to know what God has to say. Why do we trust people who will never really do anything for us to tell us who to vote for? We've gotten into this pattern, this easy belief system, that, that just because you're known or just because you have some level of influence, then you must know what you're talking about. While ignoring the reality that every single one of us are broken and messed up. There is only one perfect holy God, and so if I'm going to learn something about life, I, I want to learn it from God who created life, it was his idea, and who knows best how to live it. And you might think, well, I've, I, I've tried that. I, I've tried to grow my faith. There was that time that I needed God to do something and I prayed and he never showed up. There was that moment that I wanted to believe the right things. I was walking through something tough and I came to church a couple times and nothing really changed in my life. Faith doesn't work for me. Have you ever felt like faith lets you down? Have you ever, have you ever wondered if you could really trust God? How do I know? I don't think it's working. 
What if it's not that our faith isn't working? What if it's that we're not working our faith? What if, thank you, both of you, thank you. That was very profound to two people. What if we've redefined faith? And, and part of the reason we've redefined it is because of pastors and what some pastors have told us because we've, we've fallen into this idea that when I exercise faith, life is supposed to get better. When I lean into faith, everything's supposed to work out. When I trust God, he's supposed to come through for me. And somehow we've created a kind of faith that is not faith at all. We've created a kind of faith that says, okay, God, if I believe this, you're obligated to do that. But isn't it interesting, he's always obligated to be our puppet master, or, or our puppet, and we're the puppet master. He's always obligated. Somehow we use faith as a tool to manipulate God to get him to do what we want to do so we can have a better life. Y'all, listen. Let's all get on the same page. Everybody clap one time. That's awesome. Y'all starting to feel like a white church where people don't know how to do anything. I mean, we all know why people don't know how to clap, don't have rhythm, like, oh, that's good. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Listen, I think it's okay to be interactive, and it's okay to engage with, with something God may be saying in your life, because I fully understand when you clap, you're not applauding me. I'm way too small. Do not worship me. I am way too small and insignificant. You clap when God speaks something into your life that's going to work in your life. Y'all are getting better already. That's awesome. But here's the reality. Nothing will bring more hope, peace, certainty, and emotional strength and clarity like growing faith. So is your faith growing? Or have you left it behind because it didn't work? In fact, are you a little bit upset with God because you tried faith and things got worse, not better? I think it's important to understand, and if you're a Christ follower, you know this. If you're not a Christ follower, one of the things that Scripture teaches is that we all have an enemy, whether you're a Christ follower or not. We all have an enemy. And in church life, in church lingo, we hear people say things like, I just, I kind of been under attack. I feel like the enemy's attacking my marriage. I feel like the enemy's attacking my job. I feel like the enemy's attacking my finances. I feel like the enemy's attacking my relationships. Stop. The enemy is not attacking your marriage. The enemy doesn't want your husband. You don't even want him. <laughs> the enemy doesn't want your wife. You don't want her. The enemy doesn't want your job nine to five and some nights and weekends, why would the enemy want that? The enemy doesn't need your money. He existed before your bank account. Anytime we go through struggle, you might call it attack, or if you're a Christ follower, or you just might call it difficult spots in life. Anytime the enemy is attacking us, he's not trying to attack the thing he's attacking. He's trying to attack your faith. He's trying to get you to believe a little less, to trust a little less, to hope a little less. Why? Because we're afraid. At the end of the day, we're afraid. One of the things I know as a pastor is every, every week we, we pass the buckets and we have people that give digitally and we have people that give checks and cash in the bucket. And, and one of the things I know, last week I talked about the initiative for the next year in the life of C3 called Rise Up. Rise Up is replacing Let's Go and Rise Up is a one-year capital initiative 
where I've asked everybody that's a part of C3 to join me and Angie and our team in praying about our commitment over and above our regular tithes and offerings for the next step in the life of C3. We're a portable church, and we believe God has us on a journey for a, a permanent location, and so it's, it's giving over and above. A and what I know is not, last year when we did Let's Go, not everybody participated. But here's what I know. Those that were a part of C3 that did not give over and above, if you're here this morning, it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you don't care about people. It's not because you're selfish or self-focused necessarily. It's, it, 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 you know what it is? It's, it's fear. Sometimes we're afraid if we do what this book teaches, we'll live a less than life. And especially when it comes to our finances, we, we become afraid that if, if I bring the first 10% to God, how's that going to work? Now, those of us that practice that in our lives understand that bringing the first 10% to God and living on 90% with God's blessing is far better than living on 100% with God's curse. We, we understand that. But I understand that where you are is very personal and you're navigating some very real things. And often it's fear that hinders our life and fear that is debilitating in our lives that causes us not to trust, not to believe, not to forgive, not to hope, not to, to let it go because we're afraid. If I, if I forgive you, you're going to hurt me again. If I believe what God says about this, then what if it doesn't happen? It might put me in a more hopeless position. If I do what Scripture teaches about healthy relationships and what should happen before marriage and what can happen after marriage, by the way, great idea, God. How's it going to work? And what if it doesn't work? And what if it doesn't happen? So I want us to drop into Daniel chapter 3 where we find three young men that are tempted to be afraid. They're tempted to give in to fear. If there's anything in your life that fear seems to be controlling, anything in your life that, that, that fear is causing you to be afraid of, that you're missing what God has for you, this passage, listen, I, I believe it's for you. I believe it's for me. Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. He's the most powerful man on planet earth at the time. And he decides, he's convinced by some people, that, that we need to unify our nation. We need to have one God that everybody believes in. And, and you do understand that chasing unity for the sake of unity is futile. If we're all unified on a bad idea, it's still a bad idea. But he decides that we're, we're going to have this new God. He makes a golden image 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and puts it out at a place called the Plain of Dura in Babylon. A and then he invites everybody to come, all the government officials, all the important people, everybody in culture and society. I want you to come to a worship service. And at this worship service, when we start to play the worship music, I want you to bow down and worship this new God. There are three young guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when the music starts, they don't bow and worship. Now, what you need to know about these three guys, they're young. Scholars tell us they're between the age of 14 and 17 at this point. They're Jewish guys, which means they're there in captivity. They're technically slaves. And when the music starts, they don't bow. Could you do that? If the government said, hey, it's not okay to join together and worship anymore. We don't want you to do that. Would you still worship? Nebuchadnezzar finds out that they didn't bow. So we're going to drop into verse 13. Furious with rage, 
furious with rage. You know what that means? He's ticked off. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, you know I learned this morning it's zither, I've been calling it zither for years. The horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. You will be. How many you will be voices do you have in your head? If you bring God the first 10%, you will be broke. If you forgive them again, you will be betrayed. If, if you try to honor God with this area of your life, you'll be called weird. You will be. And we allow fear to pronounce failure over areas of our lives when the only you will be I should ever trust is what God says I will be. The only be I should ever hold on to is what God says I will be. He says, if you trust me, you will be forgiven. If you follow me, you'll have a life of greater influence that will matter. If you forgive, you will be forgiven. The only you will be I should ever trust is what God says I will be. Because everybody else is not God. But we tend to let fear intimidate us. Think about it. Three young guys, teenagers, told by the most powerful man on the planet, if you don't bow, you're going to die. What would you do? I think God knew from the beginning of time the continual temptation in your life and mine would be to give in to fear. Fear causes us to often elevate what should be diminished and diminish what should be elevated. Fear causes us to shift our focus to what we're afraid of. Fear makes what we're afraid of bigger than the God we say we know and pray to. And fear causes us to focus on that rather than focusing on God. And God knew it would be the human condition. So over and over again, he tells us, hey, don't be afraid. Joshua, when you're leading the children of Israel into the promised land, don't be afraid. Jeremiah, when you're launching a brand new ministry, don't be afraid. Disciples, I'm putting this whole thing called the church in your hands. It's going to be the hope of the world. And don't be afraid. He knew over and over again we would need to hear it because... While a lot of us don't like to admit it, we spend a lot of time afraid. Some of you are here this morning ultimately because you're afraid. You're afraid somebody's going to leave you like somebody else did. You're afraid you don't have what it takes to raise them to be better than you are. You're, you're afraid. You're afraid that people may find out who you really are. You're afraid. Proverbs has been called the book of wisdom, and Proverbs 29 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know what a snare is? A snare is a trap. Fear is a trap that will lock you up in believing less of yourself than God does. Fear will pause the momentum in your life. Fear will cause you to believe sometimes that while God may take care of some people and may bless some people, he's not going to bless you. Fear will get you to live a less than life. I have, I have taken the highway of fear at times in my life, and I've discovered the highway of fear always leads to a low way of life. 
The highway of fear always leads to a low way of life. It has the same destination every single time. I've never seen somebody enhance their marriage by living in fear. I've never seen parents become more effective by being afraid. I've never seen somebody just climb the ladder in their career and blow people's minds in the boardroom or the classroom because fear is reigning in their life. I've never seen it. Fear always diminishes, always devalues. Fear always causes us to live less than, and fear causes us to doubt God, to struggle with trusting. So Nebuchadnezzar says, but if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Same question you and I ask. If I do this, is it going to turn out okay? If I honor God with my sexuality, if I honor God with my choices and friendships, if I honor God with my choices financially, if I honor God in how I treat people, is it going to turn out okay? Or will I just be run over in life? Will I be taken advantage of? Will I miss out on something? And notice their response. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. Stop. Did you see that? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. You know what that tells me? The way they're wording this phrase tells me this is not the first day they woke up and thought, let's, let's have some faith today. The God we serve, there's been a pattern of serving. They've been cultivating the faith in their life. Because what you cultivate early on begins to grow. They set some moments in their life where they cultivated their faith and it created a momentum in their lives of faith. So the God we serve is able. And because they've been cultivating their faith, they've been believing God and trusting God about little things, and it's grown, and they face some obstacles, but they continue to have faith and trust God. And as they've moved through their lives, now they're at a point where they're facing something very, very big. When you and I trust God with small things, it becomes easier to trust Him with big things. This wasn't the first day they decided to trust. They've been cultivating their faith. What are you doing in your life to cultivate your faith? Because big things are coming. Big threats are on the horizon. Difficult days will come into your life. They are no respecter of persons. And it won't matter how much money you make or how healthy you are, who you're connected with, fire's fire. So what are you doing now? What am I doing now to prepare for then? Because in that moment, a simple, shallow prayer based on an empty faith and shallow life is not going to be very helpful. If we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. <laughs> but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, I got no problem saying God will, God can, God must. But do I have the kind of faith that says, even if he doesn't? All of us can have the kind of faith, man, God, God's going to come through for me. I'm believing God. This is going to happen. I'm trusting God's going to do this. But do you add that even if he doesn't? See, God is not shaped or formed by how he responds or performs to my life and my circumstances. God is God no matter what he does next. He's God. God is the one that is large and in charge, and they had a perspective of understanding. They had been playing the long game. They had been investing in cultivating their faith. They'd been investing in their relationship with God. They had been, how do you do that? Serving. The God we serve 
So if you call C3 your church and you say you love C3 and you're not serving, if you're not serving, you're swerving. If you're not serving, you won't have stability in your life. There's a pattern of serving in their life, and it has been growing their faith little by little. Because in serving, what I do is I put other people first, and I begin to live the experience that I was created for a life bigger than just living for me. I've been invited to be a part of what God's doing in other people's lives. And he grows my faith because I'm able to see what he does in other people's lives. One of the greatest ways God has grown my faith over the years is what he does in your life. I just get to see it because I serve him. He's the one that does it. If we're thrown in the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from, maj- from your majesty's hands. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, he's still God. My circumstances will not define how I feel about God. My tough moments will not shape what I think about God. He is God no matter what. And I understand I have a very limited perspective that is in the moment. And God sees the bigger picture of what he's doing and what's going to happen. And I choose to trust him. Because what's the alternative? Because at the end of the day, you have faith. I have faith. If you're not trusting God, you're trusting something. One of the greatest tragedies is when we stop trusting God and start trusting ourselves. So you've tried to figure it out on your own. I I don't trust me enough to base my life on me. Because I know me. God we serve is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. So the king's fed up. Verse 22, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. The king is so mad. Remember, he was furious with rage before, and now he has the furnace heated seven times hotter. So he was furious with rage, and now he's seven times more than whatever that is. So hot that the guys that carry them and throw them into the furnace die from the heat outside the furnace. Now, if it's that hot outside the furnace, Jethro, what do you think it is inside? Because sometimes you believe the right things and do the right things, but it still gets hot. You thought faith was something that would magically move the hand of God where it all gets better automatically, but it is not. Often it gets worse before it gets better. Remember I said we have an enemy that is trying to diminish our faith. So the moment you decide to lean into faith, the moment you decide to believe and trust, the moment you decide to live in a way that honors God, at that very moment, the enemy takes more notice of you and will try to throw some things into your life that causes you to go, whoa, whoa, okay, 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 okay. Some of you, you think faith doesn't work because you tried it for a minute. It's kind of like that diet you went on. Remember you went on that diet at lunch? I'm sorry, it's not a diet. It's a new life plan. I'm not on a diet. It's, it's a new way of eating. It's for the rest of my life. I'm, it's not a diet. I'm a new, way, a new way of eating. Remember when you went on that, that diet? Come on, that's what it is. You went on the new life plan for lunch, and you didn't lose any weight by dinner, so you said, what the fat, and you ate whatever you wanted? Lunch, you're eating kale. If anybody tells you they like kale, they are a liar. (laughs) I eat kale. I've never liked it one time. But gorillas eat it, and they're strong, so I'm buying in, and I'm eating it. But Listen, you you, you ate kale, and and you you didn't put any dressing on it, just a little bit of oil and vinegar, no ranch, no Cajun ranch, no Thousand Island, just... Or I'm going to get in a little cup beside and I'll just dip my fork into that a little bit. Just tiny taste. But I, you, you were so healthy at lunch. Didn't lose weight by dinner. A little bit depressed because you got some bad news. or it was a rough ride home. So you're having Dunkin' Donuts for dinner. 
And it helps you live, feel a bit better in the moment. Listen, listen. The biblical pattern for success has always been consistency. And when you try your faith, trying on your faith is not like trying on a pair of shoes that you just take off when you don't like them anymore. They allowed the moments of faith in their life to create a momentum that is moving them in a direction to continue to trust no matter what. You have to break through the crashing points of faith and not give up. You have to take responsibility for your own faith. It is not contagious. You have to own your spiritual condition and say, I'm going to trust God even through this. I'm going to believe God no matter what. That's how you get to the moment that you're in a furnace and you're not burned. Notice Nebuchadnezzar. The guy who said, what God will rescue you from my hand? Notice, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I see four now, not just three. And he had no problem with new gods. I mean, remember, this is why they're here. He just built a new god, so he's just adding to it. He doesn't understand that this isn't just another god. This is the God. So he has him called out of the furnace. And scripture records in verse 27, they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. That one makes me a little jealous. <laughs> their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. So when you and I trust God, when we lean into faith and allow fear to be diminished, or we lean into faith even though there are some fears and there are some threats and there are some what-ifs and there are some unknowns, when we continue to lean into faith and trust God, even when you go through the fire, you'll come out the other side unburned. And what's fascinating to me about this, most of the fires in my life I built. I am an arsonist of myself. I've put myself in some furnaces, but by the grace of God, hey, maybe you're here this morning because you're in a furnace of your own making. This, this wasn't their case. It wasn't their fault, but don't we put ourselves in spots that get a little bit hot, and, and we create circumstances in our lives where the fire's turned up, and where they're, listen, when you trust God, and you trust by faith, even when you're in the furnace, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I messed up. I got here. The amazing thing about our God is when he pulls you out of that fire, you don't even smell like you've been there. You don't even look like you've been there. It doesn't even define who you are. And then Nebuchadnezzar, for no other God can save this way. Their faith, the faith of teenagers changed the mind of a king. The faith of people who were called simple captives changed the mind of the most powerful man on earth. What is your faith doing to the people around you? How are you living out your faith? Do me a favor. Turn the lights up for a second. How, how, many of you, how many of you know the names, the names of your grandparents? Raise your hand. Their first name, first name. How many of you know the first name of your great-grandparents? Raise your hand. Great-grandparents, first name. How many of you know the first name of your great-great-grandparents? How many of you? Well, God bless you. One, that's awesome. Two. <laughs> you and I will be forgotten very soon. We don't know the people in our family tree, but we're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of their faith. It is your faith. It is my faith that builds a legacy that lasts. You go to Hebrews chapter 11. We, we call it the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And we read about people, and it says, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, people that made a mark that we still know about because of their faith. We don't know people in our own family, but we know people we've never met that we're not even related to because of their faith. If you want to do something that matters, lean into your faith. So what's the what if question this morning? Very quickly, what's the what if question? We're in this series, what if? What if they'd given in to their fear? They would have missed the presence of God. 
and they would have missed a miracle. What if we give in to fear? When we give in to fear, we miss the presence of God, and we miss a miracle. Because faith grows in the challenging and difficult moments in life, not in some incubator of safety where we're warm and cozy and life's fine. And the more we cultivate our faith now, the more we'll have it later. What can you do today? What can you do this week to cultivate and begin to grow your faith? Where are the areas that fear has crept in and you know what God teaches and you know what God wants? And by the way, anything God teaches and anything God wants is because of the fact that he loves us. God hates sin because he knows how much sin destroys our lives. God doesn't hate sin just because he's some judgmental God. God knows you do this, this is what happens, and I don't want you to feel pain. And the crazy thing about sin Sin not only hurts you and me when we sin, it hurts the people we love the most. So God sees the domino effect, the ramifications of when I say, I'm not going to trust you, I'm going to do it my way. I know what you say, but I'm not going to do that. And often we do that because of fear. When we allow fear to lead us instead of faith, we miss the presence of God and the miracle that he has for us. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want to miss that. So one last question. What if the greatest hindrance to your personal growth is your refusal to step into the uncomfortable so you can discover the fullness and power of faith. What if the greatest hindrance to your personal growth, if you want to grow as a person, if you want to grow in relationships, if you want to grow your influence, if you want to grow your health, what if the greatest hindrance to your personal growth, your growth, is your refusal to step into the uncomfortable so you can discover the fullness and the power of faith? What is it that God might be asking you to do that you've hesitated, that you've said no, that you try to ignore, that you refuse to acknowledge because of fear. Where is it in your life that you're refusing to allow God to grow your faith? And the bigger what he asks you to do, the more your faith will grow. Man, I'm praying that God gives me and God gives you and God gives us a church of the faith of three teenagers. Where do you need to stand for what God's telling you instead of the bowing to the fear that you've allowed to control you? I don't want you to miss the presence of God and I don't want you to miss the miracle that he wants to do in your life. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's stand together. Father, again, I'm so grateful, God, for every person in this room. And I, I pray that as we've looked at this text, that your spirit has spoken to our hearts. God, I pray in the next few moments we would evaluate who we are before you and where we are with you. And we would evaluate how much faith do I have? Father, I, I want more faith. I pray that is our prayer. So God, through that, I pray we would learn to say yes to the things that you ask us to do. I pray that you would grow our faith in these moments. Because Father, we know that there are going to be some fires that we have to walk through. Some will be unfair and many will be of our own making. But I thank you that you're the God that promised to never leave us and never forsake us. 
I thank you that you're the God that invites us to call you Father. You're the God that loves us deeply and will step into any fire we walk through in life, no matter how hot it's been turned up, and that your presence has the ability to protect and preserve. I thank you that we're not defined by the fires of our past because of you. Father, have your way in these moments. In Jesus' name. 